Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to the final summer 2022 episode of the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. Not to freak you all out, we're just taking a little bit of a summer break for August, so there will be no new episodes if you are listening to this when it comes out until September, which is only a couple of weeks away. So in light of that, we are giving you a nice, long, juicy episode today. And if you have ever felt like, help me, I feel like I am failing at intuitive eating. One, you are not alone. And on this week's episode, we are diving into the many reasons why you have told us, I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating and what we can do about them from a wholehearted eating approach. Also, just a quick little plug slash PSA here. During this episode, we are mentioning a lot of other episodes that we have done that touch on in much greater detail a lot of the topics that we're mentioning today. So all of those will be listed in the show notes. No joke, I think there are at least 10 other episodes that we mention in here. So if you're wondering, um, what am I going to do with my time when Data and Christina are on summer vacation if I'm listening to this at the time when it comes out? Well, we have 10 other episodes for you to listen to and we would love to hear your questions your comments any other follow-up questions or concerns that you have following this episode because Christina and I agreed this was hands down one of our favorite episodes that we've ever done because it touched on a lot of the things that we love to talk about I would say most of the things that we love to talk about so if you want us to do more episodes like this if you have more reasons why you feel like you're failing at intuitive eating that you want us to dive into definitely shoot us an email at hello at wholehearted eating or Instagram message either or both of us at wholehearted eating pod on Instagram we will still be there all summer even if we're not releasing new episodes so without further ado Let's dive right into help. I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. Help. I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Raise your hand if you've ever felt this way. Um, Everyone raises hands, right? Like I think one of the reasons why we wanted to kind of kick off our summer break with this episode is because we feel like literally everyone needs to hear this and maybe listen to it multiple times throughout the like throughout the next month while we take our little break. Um, but this episode was inspired by a client session of mine. Um, if we're being honest, they know that they inspired this episode and I'm not going to use their names or anything. Um, but yeah, the reason why we wanted to talk about this was because in my conversations with this client, we started to really dive into why they felt like they, they talked about a lot about how their experience in eating disorder recovery felt a lot like they were continuing to fail at this journey and especially at the journey of intuitive eating. And in the beginning, they mentioned that at first they were just accepting the label of an eating disorder and having one and then kind of coming to terms with the idea 
oven tune of eating and kind of linking it back with dieting and binging. And at first it was like incredibly liberating um, and felt like she could finally get the permission to stop moralizing food and thinking about the language and the movement and everything about it was a big, like a big aha for them and really, really awesome and letting go of good versus bad foods and letting go of that control aspect of trying to control their body, trying to control their food, that that whole process and that first step in hearing about intuitive eating was incredibly healing for them. And um, <clears throat> but then it kind of got to this point in their in their healing and in their in their you know therapy and in their work that they were doing that it kind of hit a roadblock for them in a lot of ways. Uh, because they were feeling really liberated by not restricting themselves anymore and not having any foods off limits, but they didn't really know how to eat in a way without that restriction. And I think one of the things that when you say how to eat, which people might have a problem with, but how to eat, what she meant was how to eat in a way that was taking care of her body and that felt good, but also at the same time, and I think also, too, how do you then incorporate health-promoting behaviors without having that restriction was really the challenge for them and not really understanding how do I satisfy my cravings and also at the same time provide a framework for myself around the goals that I have, around picking foods every day. How do I do that in a way that's non-diety and non-restrictive when literally every nutrition knowledge that they've ever been given or looked at has been in the framework of a diet. So this felt like they were failing at like a very unachievable goal is how it was described to me in our session. And I felt like when we were talking about this, there's, you know, you're not failing at an unachievable goal. The goal hasn't been presented. <laughs> to you entirely and all the information has been hasn't been provided and I think you know if you've listened to our previous episode about set point theory too in the problem with that with eating disorder recovery too is that there's still weight stigma in eating disorder recovery as well and there still is in um, not all practitioners but some practitioners who are working in eating disorder recovery or who are working in intuitive eating you'll still hear things like once you figure out intuitive eating your body your and what your body needs to quote unquote needs to eat, the weight will just come off. Or like once you stop binging, you'll gain weight. And I have this conversation with literally every single one of my of my clients and especially my clients um, of various sizes who have binge eating disorder. I, I think it's important to put that in there that, that there are various sizes too to distinguish the fact that this is not just one size that is feeling this or having binge eating disorder either. But it feels like when what would happen to these clients and why they felt like they would be failing at intuitive eating was because they didn't have the framework of gentle nutrition, or as Dana and I refer to it as intentional eating. They didn't have that framework. Nutrition was never provided to them in a neutral lens. It was provided in a, well, sometimes you eat pizza and other times you eat salad. And it's really it's you just kind of create this balance and it's really intuitive and it's natural and it just happens and you'll fall into it. And for most people out there, that thought process does not come easy. <laughs> like that's not how it works. And so 
which is why Dean and I have always thought of this as there is a level of intention that gets brought into this and how do you create intentional flexibility with food the same way that you do how do I incorporate intentional um, health promoting behaviors and neutral nutrition in a way that is not in the framework of a diet or with weight loss as the end result or the parameter for success. And I think that's the problem is that so basically where would happen for this client and where they would keep falling into was this place of wondering, where am I overeating? What's the balance between not triggering the restrictive feeling? And how do I do that? Like, how do I do that? And why do I feel like I'm constantly failing at this? And we decided to take that entire conversation that I had with this client and multiple, but this one in particular really opened up about it in a big way. Um, And we asked other clients, other listeners, you guys, if you feel like you're failing at intuitive eating too, and we wanted to create the space to really talk about one, validate why you might be feeling this way, and two, talk about why you might be feeling this way and three what we can do to kind of change that framework so you don't feel like you're failing all the time yeah so if you can't tell if you haven't related to every single thing that christina said already this is a really common thing that we find is not talked about enough um and in fact it's really hard to talk about this in the social media space just because of the format of Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you know, social media you're consuming. It's quick and it's fast and it's not possible to really go into a lot of this even if you feel like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. Or it's like, ooh, but I'm trying to do that. But like, but what about this? Or, you know, what, what about this? So basically what we did was we crowdsourced Why do you feel like you're failing at intuitive eating? Have you ever felt like you've been failing at intuitive eating? I think we got two responses out of all of them on the polls that we did was two people were like, no, I've never felt like I've been failing at intuitive eating. Awesome. But uh, the rest of the class has felt like at some point (laughs) that they definitely have been failing, right? So we have, and we got a ton of responses to this. So we kind of consolidated them into different categories because so many people are feeling the same way. So like Christina said, we want to validate that. And we also want to help you work through this stuff as much as we can within one, possibly many podcast episodes. Um, So... The first one that we find is the most common, um, which I would say is probably in the earlier stages of getting away, trying to get away from the diet mentality and incorporate more of a non-diet approach um, is what we would call the fuck it mentality. Like I'm just eating all of the things. And this person said, all I intuitively want to eat is donuts. And this is scary. (laughs) And I think one of the things that I like about that is you're in the liberation phase, you know, like what Dana's talking about in the early phases of this, of like, if you didn't allow yourself to have donuts, naturally, of course, all you're going to want to have is donuts now because you're like, oh my gosh, the gloves are off. This is the time. I finally am allowing myself to have this and I'm not doing this anymore. So you might feel like all you intuitively want to eat is donuts right now, but it's probably just a phase. But Maybe it's not, and maybe you feel, and the the fear of it not being a phase can be really scary for a lot of people, because especially 
since, you know, the reason why we typically end up removing things like donuts from our diet is because we want to lose weight. And then so we have this big fear of like, oh my gosh, all I intuitively want to eat is donuts. Now I'm going to gain weight. It's going to spiral out of control and everything's going to be wrong with me and I'm going to have horrible health and all the things. And then it kind of can in some ways create this comfort, like internal confirmation bias for yourself that intuitive eating is not for you because you need the parameters, you know, you need the diet to hold you in the rails, you know, hold you in the, in the guardrails, so to speak. A lot of people get stuck in this phase. And one of the reasons is because this is so scary, because it feels like the wheels are coming off, especially if you've been a chronic dieter, a Whole30 or, or elimination protocol or, or, you know, whatever, any of these things, because you feel like you don't know how to eat for your body, for health, for anything without those parameters, right? So when we take those training wheels off, or I would say more like a very small fence that we're only allowed to stay in between, right? Once we take that away, of course you're going to gravitate to all of the things that you weren't allowed to or supposed to eat before or were only supposed to eat in moderation because as soon as you take the rules away, the body's like, hey, it's time. We can finally eat this stuff. This is great. But then because you had restricted those things for so long, the body doesn't completely trust you that you're not going to go back to those rules. So it's like, ooh, um, okay, we're allowed to eat donuts today, but we're not sure if we're going to be allowed to eat donuts tomorrow. So let's keep eating the donuts today in case we start restricting tomorrow because that is most likely a pattern that you have lived in before, right? You've had kind of the last supper mentality before you started a new diet or you had a big weekend of eating a whole bunch of different things and maybe then you don't feel great and you're like, ooh, diet starts tomorrow or diet starts Monday, right? And it's that fear of future restriction in this animalistic part of our brain that's like oh my god I need to then eat all of the things because it's going to be taken away from me if you are stuck in this phase for a really long time and you keep oscillating back and forth between like no but I need to allow myself to eat all the things and like maybe I shouldn't be eating all this like this really isn't good for me or like maybe I'll just you know go back to dieting for a little bit and then I'll come back here the more that you are stuck in the mentality, the longer you will be stuck in this phase because you haven't given yourself full permission to really continue to eat these things. And we want to acknowledge that that is scary as shit when you're like, literally all I want to eat is like donuts and mac and cheese and pasta and, you know, whatever used to be on your no list. Because for a lot of people, consistently eating those things and only those things does not feel good in your body. And we work with a lot of people with chronic health conditions. And if you're stuck there, you're really not going to be feeling good in terms of your symptoms, right? But again, like Christina said, because there has been a huge lack of education in how do we eat for health? How do we eat to feel good without the restrictive all or nothing parameters of a diet? You don't know what to do. You don't know how to eat a salad every once in a while and eat a pizza in the same day and feel okay about it. You don't know how to eat, you know, a rice bowl and then also eat cookies and not be like, oh, the cookies were bad. I need to start over tomorrow kind of thing. So of course we're stuck in the phase of I'm just going to eat all of the donuts and the cookies and everything because your history 
is an all or nothing mentality. The crux here is you don't need to stop eating the donuts. You need to unlearn and work through why do I feel like I needed those perfectionist black and white all or nothing rules before? Why do I feel like I need that aspect of control? For most people that are stuck in here, it's related to weight or it can be related to symptoms or it can be both. So it's really complicated. It's super complicated. I'm going to add another layer of complication in there too, is that this can be even more complicated if you have, um, if you're in recovery from an active eating disorder, because one of the things that can come up when you try to deviate from having something like that was on your no foods list for a long time is that you might feel like, oh my gosh, is this my eating disorder coming back? Or am I allowed to have of these other types of foods too, even though that they were some of my quote unquote favorite diet foods or something like that, or my health foods, if I, all these different types of things. And so navigating that too, when you're in an eating disorder recovery can also feel really scary too. And that can lead you again to be feeling kind of like I'm failing at intuitive eating here because I feel like I'm either I'm either saying, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing and I have to do this to recover from my eating disorder or from my disordered eating, right? It can go both ways. Or I have to be doing this other way. And that all or nothing mentality that Dana's talking about, the longer you stay there without support of a practitioner who's going to help you work through it too and navigate, okay, how do I, how do I incorporate other foods back in? Um, How do I incorporate donuts in a neutral sense? How do I not have them still be such a praise for myself? And how do I then navigate that so that I can understand what my body needs? And one of the things that Dana and I talk about a lot, and this is where the work comes in for, for working through this, is how do I marry what my body's craving and what my body needs? And how do I bring those two things together? And that is a complicated journey complicated journey but we're gonna keep talking about it the other other people said too so leaning on to like this whole fucking mentality thing another thing that people bring up a lot is having trouble being consistent with the hunger scale and not feeling like they can be mindful when they eat think about it this way if you're thinking about the person before how can you possibly be be mindful when you eat when you feel like you're in this big pendulum swing from restriction and restricting food to, oh my gosh, I'm going to let all the foods fit. When you're on that side of the, oh my gosh, I'm going to let all the foods fit and I'm scared AF, how do you then bring mindfulness to to the plate and to the eating experience? Super difficult to do. That doesn't even begin to break down some of the issues with the hunger scale itself. You know, when we use the hunger scale as the only times when we're allowed to eat or not allowed to eat, that can also create a really, really dangerous framework for restriction and leading us to binges too. I like the hunger and fullness scale, especially when I hear people saying I don't feel any physical hunger or I'm not really aware where my body lands and then all of a sudden I'm like overly satisfied and like stuffed and I'm not feeling well. I can't really distinguish between the two feelings. I actually really like to use the hunger scale to describe how scavenger eating happens. <laughs> like, and thinking and looking at it kind of in retrospect of like, okay, I went to this point where I was eating a ton and not feeling well. And I'm using it from that, I'm looking at it that way and breaking down the hunger scale to be able to see that and then being able to look back retroactively and say, hey, when did I eat during the day? <laughs> like, 
What was my relationship with food today? What was my accessibility to food today? Did I have food available to me? Was I not listening earlier when I was hungry and I didn't satisfy it because I got called into five different meetings or, you know, I was too busy chasing my kids around. I didn't have time or we didn't go to the grocery store this weekend because we were at the beach having fun and we don't have food available. And so I felt like, blah, you know, and then then it makes it to me what I like about using the hunger scale in that regard is it helps provide you with the tools and education to be able to understand how certain types of things happen in the body and also being able to bring it back to yourself and saying, hey, oh, this makes sense. I get it now. I'm hearing it a little bit more and I'm being able to use it in a way where it's not just this is when I eat, this is when I stop eating. And this is how I use this because otherwise, isn't that a diet? <laughs> isn't that, you know, in a lot of ways it can be very much used as portion control or restrictive. But I think when you look at it as a tool to help you become more in tune with what your body is telling you and being able to see it and look back and say, oh, how do I, how did, how can I look back and see what the pattern was here for me today? What came up? What was, what was impacting me? Why was I so dizzy? Oh, shit. It's because I didn't eat anything. Like, oh, my God. Like, we were, you know, packing up to go on a road trip, go on a vacation, and I forgot to eat breakfast. I didn't grab something on the way out. And then all of a sudden, it's 3 o'clock. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, here it is. And so I think when we use it in that way, it can feel a lot more knowledge-driven Whereas when it's presented to us in a way of here's how to be consistent with the hunger scale and all of a sudden you're expected to be mindful when you eat, being mindful when you eat is a learned practice. (laughs) And sometimes we're not mindful when we eat. Sometimes it's I need to just go and get some food and I need to work it out and I do these different things. And so sometimes that's why I think sometimes people feel like they're failing at intuitive eating because ultimately they're using the hunger scale as a way, as a benchmark for when they're allowed to eat and when they're not allowed to eat. And that's not how it's supposed to be used, at least not in my experience. I mean, agreed. Well, if you want to do this in a (laughs) actually healthy, sustainable, non-diet way, then yes. Um, But this is where the nuance comes in, right? This is why it's impossible to talk about these things on social media because while we can say we like using the hungerfulness scale as an informational tool in different ways when presented from a neutral nutrition lens, it is also heavily used in the people who are actually just like super diety but say they're into intuitive eating and they're like, oh, just eat when you're hungry and that's intuitive eating. And it's like, okay, but now you're making it a rule because one, a consistent theme with a lot of these things that we were seeing when you guys responded to like help I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating is we are superimposing the all or nothing mentality into intuitive eating when really that's the number one thing that we're trying to get away from here is these like all or nothing rules, right? So for example, you can easily turn the hunger fullness scale into a rule of, oh, I'm only allowed to eat when I'm hungry. If I eat when I'm not hungry, I'm failing and that's wrong. And then it's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? You know. So I want to give a couple examples here of if you only followed, I eat when I'm hungry, 
it's not going to work for you, right? And this is one of the things that people said is like, I don't have any physical hunger cues. If I listened to I eat only when I'm hungry or I eat when I'm hungry, I would barely eat, right? There are so many different reasons why this can happen. If you have some kind of dysregulation in your system, whether that's hormonal, gut, relationship with food, like we deal with all of these things on the daily, right? You probably don't have consistent hunger cues or you don't know how to recognize the physical hunger cues that you have until you are famished, right? So one of the ways that I use the hunger fullness skills and informational tool is to help people distinguish between I'm hungry and I'm so famished I'm going to pass out, right? So an example of this is like if you can only identify I'm so famished I'm going to pass out, the next time that that happens, start to bring some awareness to, okay, what happens right before the, oh my God, I realized I'm so shaky and everything I need to eat or I'm probably going to faint or pass out, right? We can start to bring some awareness and start to kind of backtrack, right? Work your way back from then so we can start to see, because it's not only physical hunger cues. There are emotional hunger cues, as Christina and I have talked about before, <laughs> because we commonly record right before lunch. <laughs> so when we get more snippy, <laughs> it's probably because we're hungry, right? But I want to use... Two other examples in addition to if you have a heavy history of restriction or disordered eating or an eating disorder, you there's no way that you consistently have consistent <laughs> hunger cues, right? But two other examples that I see all the time in my practice is one, people who have come from Whole30, and I will never stop ragging on them, is one of the rules in Whole30 is you're not supposed to have snacks. This is something that is a really common hang up of people who come from that because they feel like I'm not following the rules or I'm not being healthy or I'm not allowing my body to, um, you know, have like the cleansing waves of the gut in between lunch and dinner or breakfast and lunch. Or you might feel like, oh my God, am I in uh, intermittent fasting if I don't eat between lunch and dinner? Because that's something I saw on Instagram this week from people in the non-diet community. That's a rant for another day. Um, <laughs> but then Another example is I also get a lot of people who are either um, athletes, former athletes, or just gym people, right, who have done heavy <clears throat> macros in the past where it's very, very regimented of this is when you eat no matter if you're hungry or not. Spoiler alert, those people are mostly hungry all the time <laughs> because they're consistently not eating enough with a prescription from a macro coach. Anyway. When you fall into any of these categories or other ones, tell me how you're going to have confidence and trust in your body to send you those consistent hunger cues. You're not, right? So then again, if you go back to, if you fall into the camp of, oh, I'm intuitive eating or I'm intuitively eating, if I just listen to my body, my body will tell me when I'm hungry. Most of the time, that's not the case. We might be able to get there eventually, again, most of the time. But one of the themes that we always want to go back to here with you all today is in every single thing here, we're trying to get away from that perfectionist mentality, from that black and white thinking, because that's what got us into this mess in the first place. We don't want to take those rules and restrictions and the all or nothing mentality that lives in diet and fitness culture over into intuitive eating. And if you are, which is a natural thing that happens, it's one of the main reasons why you feel like you're failing. 
Yeah, because it is hard to distinguish between the two things, right? And when you go into go into intuitive eating and into this this you know personal, like quite frankly, I guess like a a discovery, an internal discovery for yourself, and an unlearning. If you don't have the um, the mindset of I'm going to leave that there and I'm going to come forward, we there's also too like you can try your damnedest to not bring this stuff forward. But the truth is it's really hard to not bring it forward because it's become such a part of you, you know, and it's so much a part of our culture. And so I think Dana's right. I think it's important for everyone to kind of hear this and understand that the reason why we feel like we're failing at intuitive eating is because we're still carrying so much dieting mentality and thought process as an execution for how we do some certain things into the execution of intuitive eating. Um, including weight loss being a big piece of it too, portion control, which we're going to talk about now. But one of the things that people talked about too was, I don't know how much to eat. I get this question all of the time. I don't know how much to eat. Can you give me a parameter for how much I'm supposed to eat? I feel like I'm overeating. I still not having any kind of control months, like months into this. Um, I eat when I'm not hungry and past fullness. Like all these different types of thoughts come up a lot. Um, in session. And I think one of the things that is really hard, and I think what this comes back to, is it comes back to, I don't hear my body. It comes back to, I need to listen to external cues and external um, advice, because I can't trust my body, right? Like that's ultimately where it's coming from, which is why I love the hunger scale for how you can help tune into that and hear what your body's talking about. I talk about it and refer to it as learning the language of your body and how you can use that to be a tool for, oh, I've never thought about it that way or I've always turned away from it. How do I, again, like Dana mentioned, build that trust? There's no set amount for how much you're supposed to eat. There might be if you're in anorexic recovery <laughs> recovery, and we're doing weight restoration and triage type work, for sure. They might be more clear and much more clear parameters, but that's not who we're talking to today. Who we're talking to today is the average person who's like, I don't really know how much I'm supposed to eat. Am I eating too little? Am I eating too much? I feel like I'm always eating more than I'm supposed to. And I have all this ravenous type hunger and I don't really understand how to control it or anything like that. That's who we're talking to today, that person. And so not knowing how much to eat comes back to the idea of that we can't trust our body. Our body has literally all of the mechanisms and hormones in place to answer this question internally. The problem that's happened is that over time and through conditioning and external conditioning, you've turned away and turned off those mechanisms. And so part of this process, and it is difficult and it is challenging and it takes practice and nuance and support to kind of get there, to turn those mechanisms back on, hear what your body's talking about, what, it's, what it needs and learning that language, and then learning how to respond to it. That's ultimately what that's all about. There's no um, idea of like all of a sudden you're going to get to this place where there's quote unquote so much control. I don't really know what we mean by that entirely other than you feel like you're out of control. And like where to me the question is where do we feel like we need control and why do we feel like we need control? 
and what are we still holding on to that might be previous behaviors or previous interactions with restriction that make us feel like we're still kind of stuck in that, this is scary, I'm still on that pendulum swing a little bit more and I haven't quite settled into my sweet spot. A lot of this is relative to depending on where you're coming from, right? So for example, if you were a heavily restrictive person who was following macros or calories or whatever, and now you're eating more than that, even if it was heavily suppressed, the amount that you were eating, you can easily feel like you're overeating because you're eating more than you were before. But that doesn't mean you're eating too much, right? So this is... The frame of reference really matters here, right? And so I commonly will have people say this to me of like, I still feel like I'm overeating. I'm like, okay, what does that, like one, what do you mean by overeating, right? Like let's clarify, make sure we're on the same page. And what does that feel like in your body, right? Does it feel like you are overly stuffed consistently, is there a physical sensation? Is there an emotional sensation? What's happening either during the eating process or prior to the eating that was the impetus for eating that led to us feeling this way? Not in the sense of, oh, that was bad. We need to undo that. We always lean into here, curiosity, not judgment, right? We want to figure out like, how is this happening? Where is it coming from, right? Because we always, whether we're talking about symptoms or whether we're talking about relationship with food or anything, we always want to go to the root cause. Where is this coming from? You know, again, not from a judgmental place. Always. Yeah. And I think that's why I love using the hunger, the hunger scale in that way around looking back and kind of looking at it from the patterns and thinking about, ooh, what could have what could have precipitated this or how did I interact with food earlier in the day and things like that. So I'm going to always go back to it. But one thing I just want to note here too is sometimes we have the perception of overeating when really we haven't really acknowledged the fact that we've been undereating for so long potentially and not honoring our hunger cues for such a long time that literally anything that you do that's beyond what you're doing is going to be physically uncomfortable um, and emotionally uncomfortable because it's so different than what you've been doing. And then all of the fears around body and all the things come up too. One of the ways that I describe this to clients of mine is that there's a little bit of like um, plate dysmorphia, you know, like the, like the way that we, a client of mine used the example of, of um, a fear food of theirs was salmon one time. Like they used to be really scared of like eating salmon. And so one time they were, it, you know, salmon was, was plated for them and they said, oh my gosh, like at first they didn't think it was that big of a portion, but then the longer they sat there and thought about how this was a fear food of theirs, or they didn't think it was a good enough, it was just an okay food for them. They immediately started seeing the salmon like grow. It became bigger to them. The portion became really overwhelming and really large. So think about it that way too of like, I don't know how much to eat. Well, what food are you eating and where are you feeling this more of? Are you feeling like you're not overeating when you're having something that you're totally cool with eating? Or are you having this feeling when you're eating something that is previously kind of restricted or you have morality around or you have thoughts around or you've been educated around certain types of things around it? Whether the, that education is true or not is irrelevant. It's internalized to you. You experience it this way and then it's showing up on the way that you're feeling about the portions that you're eating of that item. So I think that's really important to keep in mind too for I don't know how much to eat. You might not. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like you might not. That might be a very true statement. I might not know how much to eat. But you also don't know yet how much of that is your perception of what you're eating and how much of that is, okay, I'm okay with eating certain foods in more abundance because of what the beliefs I have around them. And then I'm not okay with eating other foods because of the beliefs I have around them and unpacking that. Like that's the true thing. That's where you start to get into how do I marry those two things together? How do I get that education for myself? And again, that language of my body, how do I unlearn some of these things so that I can tune in, hear what my body's asking for, satisfy it in a way that it hasn't been satisfied by in a really long time that it's literally craving and desiring. So I think that's one thing to look at too of looking back now if we're in that place where I don't know how much to eat and you're at, and that's part of your your I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating. I want you to observe do you feel differently when you're eating some things versus others? And then list out those things what is living in there? What kind of morality might be living in there for you? Why are some things okay to eat more of and other things not okay to eat more of? Yeah. And speaking of that, I want to talk a little bit more to the, um, like, I still don't have, you know, control months later of, you know, into this intuitive eating journey. Um, Two things here. I think we need to individually, because this is different for everybody, what do you define as control or feed, feeling out of control, right? Because again, this is relative. For some people, having one cookie or something a day or a week or whatever it is feels out of control to them, right? It's There's a huge spectrum here of feeling out of control. So one, let's get some clarity around that. But two... This goes back to an assumption that is definitely played into by the way that intuitive eating is talked about by a lot of people who aren't are not in the intuitive eating space and it's the assumption that you can't have any structure or guidelines when you are following intuitive eating, right? Now granted, it is a necessary step to go through what we've called the fuck it mentality or the liberation phase of you have to unlearn those food rules and the morality around food and everything before you can really get to a place of incorporating intentional eating, neutral nutrition as we like to call them. Because otherwise, if you try and incorporate new guidelines fresh out of diet culture when you're not done unlearning food rules, it's another diet. Tell me how it's different from another diet, right? You have to go to that place first of unlearning that stuff. But this is where intentional eating comes in. If you still feel like you are out of control, do you feel out of control because you feel like you can't have structure in intuitive eating or you don't know how to do structure without going back to dieting? That's where we need to learn non-diet neutral nutrition because there is a way to incorporate health promoting behaviors in a non all or nothing way in a non-diet way but if you're only used to doing certain you know eating certain foods or engaging with certain behaviors if it's within a very specific structure i.e dieting or some kind of fitness regime you need to unlearn that before we can reincorporate structure because again then it just feels like 
we're going back to a diet. So let's <laughs> let's get it out of the way that you can incorporate structure and you can incorporate guidelines into a non-diet lifestyle. But before you get there, you have to still unlearn the morality around food. And so if you feel like you're still out of control, let's ask like, what feels out of control about this? What would make me feel less out of control or more grounded, right? More centered, I think is a better way to think about that. And if your immediate answer is, oh, I would just feel way better if I went back to dieting or like rules or something, again, we're still caught in that all or nothing mentality, which of course we are because up until the point of starting to try this whole non-diet thing, that is where we lived in the black and white. Mm -hmm. And it's really um, when you feel like you're off the rails a little bit or there's not a good guard, you know, guard, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like guardrail? Guidelines or guardrails, maybe guardrails. Guideline, <laughs> guardrails. Whatever. Uh, you get the idea, guys. Um, if you don't feel like you have that, of course you're going to feel out of control, especially if you have years and years and years of having very structured food rules and food interactions throughout your life, of course you're all of a sudden going to feel out of control. So let's acknowledge that too for what that is as well and saying, yeah, you might feel out of control, but what were you doing before? What was the cost of that control before? And the cost of that control is your mental and emotional and quite frankly, your physical health too. We can get, we can dive into that too. But I think one of the things that can make this interesting too is I think sometimes what happens with people leading into this intentional eating conversation from there is a lot of times people will feel guilty for choosing something that they know won't make them feel their best afterwards and so there's this guilt around that too and that comes from having these restrictive protocols I see this a lot with clients who have chronic health conditions, who might be doing different types of stuff or food intolerances or GI issues. I'm sure Dana sees this like literally all day, every <laughs> literally day. Literally every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to let her talk about it even more. But <clears throat> this is where that comes in around feeling like there's this guilt here around it. And that's why people feel that feeling of out of control because there is a layer of guilt or shame, or oh my gosh, I'm doing something bad for myself, or and I'm also having a physical reaction to it, and now I feel even more guilty for doing it. So then how do we then unpack that a little bit and create a little bit more space for that intention and being able to do that without it becoming a whole new rule or diet? And I think the truth is, when you feel called to eat something that you know you're not going to feel your best afterwards, but you do it anyways, I think sometimes it's good to honor that craving. I think sometimes we need to undo that and unlearn that a little bit. And one, maybe we need to neutralize that food for ourselves for a little bit and kind of make it a little bit easier. And then you can make an intentional choice later based off of like data and after unlearning it and taking the anxiety around that food away. Also, I'm sure Dana will talk about it. I'm going to let her talk about it. But <laughs> but I think part of that too plays a big role as well. And it can feel really scary because we do feel like, again, maybe I'm choosing things that don't make me feel my best and I'm doing it anyways and I feel really unsettled with that feeling. Okay, so I just want to mention before we go even further with this conversation that 
we have a lot of individual episodes that spend like an hour or more on these topics too. So just a little bit of a plug for the show notes here, right? We have a couple of episodes on like what is overeating, like how do I stop overeating if that's something that I'm doing? And then also specifically with what we're going to talk about right now, like how do I manage chronic health conditions without food restriction? So a ton of resources for you all. Um, in the show notes today that you can listen to while we're on our summer break. Um, But so going into the nervous system and the chronic health conditions piece, we've said this, um, like we like to reiterate this a lot, is that when we are considering eliminating foods for the purpose of symptom relief, um, we have to distinguish whether the symptom relief or the potential symptom relief that we are having Is it because of physically removing that food from our consumption or is it because the anxiety that we have around that food when we are either either eating it or even thinking of eating it can spike that nervous system response of driving us into fight or flight, which then, as a reminder, stops your stomach acid production, slows down your digestive enzymes, slows down like the way, the rate at which food moves through your body, which all on their own can contribute to increasing GI symptoms. This doesn't even go into if you have some underlying root cause, gut bacterial imbalance or diagnosed condition, IBS, you know, anything like that. So This is really a multifactorial thing to go into here, right? And so it becomes really, really difficult when you have something like bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, everything that Pepto-Bismol basically promises to fix, right? It's like, well, I know when I eat fill-in-the-blank, every time I get fill-in-the-blank, your common symptom here. The natural response to that especially if you come from the elimination diet world or the functional medicine world is, oh, we'll just pull that food out. Which, disclaimer here, for some people, that does help with symptom relief, at least in the short term. We're not going to, you know, forget to acknowledge that because that is something that could happen. But like I've said many times before, unless it's a true allergy or celiac disease, pulling out the food alone is not going to fix the problem because it's not the root cause of the symptoms that you're having, right? So even if you do have symptom relief from a specific food, taking it out or moderating your consumption of that food, we need to do some deeper digging to see why am I having these issues with this food in the first place? And the place that I always start with my GI clients is what is our relationship to that food? Because if you think that you're going to have a reaction to that food when you sit down to eat that food, your stress response is already on fire. Meaning your rest and digest component of the nervous system, which you cannot be in if you're in fight or flight because these two branches of the nervous system are mutually exclusive, meaning you can only be in one at a time. If you're in fight or flight, Your body's not ready to digest that food. If you have any physical issues digesting that food and we are in fight or flight, good luck, my friend. You pretty much have a recipe for having symptoms. So working on the stress response and the relationship with food is really a prerequisite to see you might not have a bacterial imbalance, right? Like what if we can work on what I would call meal hygiene, right? Of like 
Make sure you sit, a, sit down when you're eating. Take three, three deep breaths. Try and do whatever you can to manage your nervous system response. Again, within reason. We're not going to be able to do this all the time. Again, trying to get away from the all or nothing mentality here, right? But there are certain factors that we can control for. And there are other factors that we can't control for, right? If you do all of the nervous system hygiene before eating and you still have symptoms after those foods, we do some deeper digging and we see where that's coming from, right? So this is where it becomes really complicated of, you know, if the answer to I feel like I'm into failing at intuitive eating is because I consistently choose things that I know won't make me feel good afterwards. Let's work on that. Yeah, I think another layer too, I mean, everything you said, 100% agree. One of the things that I was thinking about too around this as well is like coming from the in, intent, um, um, what's that, like the um, functional integrative world for nutrition. And especially if you're someone who has had like, you know, GI upset or things like that or chronic health conditions or things like that, is that sometimes there's this idea that you're not supposed to feel anything after you eat. and that's part of it too of like so any kind of digestive unrest of any kind is a problem and so that brings a lot of hyper focus to how we're then feeling after we eat sometimes and so one of the things that I'll talk to clients about too is how severe is this like is this like how much is this impacting your life are you having cream in your like pasta cream sauce and immediately running to the bathroom and like having disaster pants yeah, that's probably a quality of life situation that might be going on, right? Like that might not be cool. You might choose to do it sometimes because it tastes so good. I mean, been there, done that. But then, <laughs> but then there might be other times where you say to yourself, like, this isn't worth like the minor flux that it put, brings into my body. And I think one of the things that Dane and I really want to bring to the integrative and functional world is some normalization of body functions <laughs> like <laughs> after you eat and feeling things in your body like yeah you're gonna feel a little bloated after you have something like beans that are high in fiber you're going to does that mean that beans or any kind of upset in your body is something that you can't have no not necessarily and I think that's where to us, like something like choosing something that I know won't make me, make me feel good after. I'm really curious of knowing what does feel good after mean to you? And like what, where does that live on a spectrum? Where is that hanging out? How do I do that? And what kind of answers can we explore there? Because then that gives us a little bit more of an indication of whether or not like Dana was talking about, is this a nervous system thing? Am I going into this meal really anxious? Or is this something like, oh, snap, like something is happening. Let's definitely dive deeper into it. And I think having some some honest conversations about how much this is really impacting you and how much of this is like this idea that we have in our mind that we're supposed to eat food, feel satisfied, and not have any kind of digestive response of any kind. I don't know. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. I mean, yeah. we talk about this frequently and I talk about this frequently with my clients. It's like when we're approaching something as complicated as intuitive eating, wholehearted eating <laughs> that we would call, there are – I like to think of this like a college-level course. You have to start with the prerequisites, right? Like you have to eat. 
<laughs> you know, and then for when we're progressing through intuitive eating to wholehearted eating, right? Like we said before, you have to work through that fuck it stage. You have to work through that liberation stage before we can get to neutral nutrition and intentional eating, right? Yeah. We can't get there without moving through these stages. And when you have a chronic health condition, friend, we're at like the 700 level class. <laughs> and but the thing about a chronic health condition is you can't wait to progress through all of those stages to start working on some of the chronic symptom management because what what are you just going to feel like crap for three years before you get there no and I just used a random number of three years I don't want you all freaking out and be like oh my god this is going to take me three years you know but <laughs> this is why you need to work with uh if, if you fit into, I described this the other day as like, Christina and I are the middle of the Venn diagram, right? There's intuitive eating, there's functional medicine, there's non-diet nutrition, there's anti-diet, there's, you know, uh, the fat liberation movement, you know, like all of this stuff. And then there's also chronic health conditions. We're at the center of the Venn diagram of all of that. If you fit multiple of those things, it's a good idea to make sure you find a practitioner that fits your specific needs, who's going to meet you where you are. Because if you try and find a practitioner who's really a specialist, but only one of those things, it's not, they're probably a great practitioner, but it's not the right fit for you. I can't even tell you how many times I've had people who have gone to multiple functional medicine doctors, multiple regular GPs, multiple, you know, different nutritionists and dietitians and stuff. And they're like, you're the first person that I've talked to that is able to synthesize all of this together and really understand where I fit in this Venn diagram. And this is not a toot my own horn kind of thing, right? It's just that it's just what, that we do, <laughs> what we do is just very unique and very nuanced, right? And so it's hard to find people like us and we understand that and that's why we're trying to have more of these conversations so we can help more practitioners become more aware of the nuance of what people need. Um, but it's really hard when you're when you're in the middle of that Venn diagram. We And we acknowledge that. Yeah. And it's complicated. And I think also too, for anyone who's going through this, whether or not you have a chronic health condition or not, we have said a couple times and I want to like, kind of clarify a little bit that you have to work through the stages and work through each piece in order to then create the framework. You can do a lot of this work simultaneously when you have the support of a practitioner who's meeting you where you are, holding your hand through the process and challenging you. It's really, really hard to do on your own. The reason why is because it's a lot harder to call yourself out on your bullshit than it is to have a practitioner who's going to be like, so why are we having a hard time with adding um, these cookies back in? Why are we not doing that? Or what are we doing? Who's someone who can then challenge you in that way, but in a loving and supportive environment. Whereas um, when you do that on your own, it's really hard because it's so easy and so natural for you to fall back to old dieting restrictive behaviors because that's all you know. So that's when we say you have to work through the stages. If you're going this journey alone, and you can, you absolutely can, just know that you have you might hang out and fuck it a little bit longer. And you might have to do a lot of unlearning for a while before you get to this place where, okay, I can start to build a framework or I want help with getting a framework. 
And sometimes that's where people come to us is actually when they're at that stage of like, hey, I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of the therapy. I've done a lot of these things. And now I'm at a place where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to eat. (laughs) And so then they come to us and say, I want to work on how do I bring this all together on my plate? And that's a really fun experience to do together. You know, it's really fun to kind of have that experience. So don't feel like you have to do everything with someone the whole time. You can pick and choose how, like, pick and choose your, your, um, your journey here and kind of decide, but also meet yourself where you are and meet it with compassion and a lot of curiosity throughout the entire process because thinking that all of a sudden you're going to go from restrictive dieting behaviors to intentional wholehearted eating overnight. Oh, man. Oh, man. Especially if you have a chronic health condition. Yeah, especially if you have a chronic health condition. You're just going to feel like you're failing left and right. Well, that's the thing I wanted to draw attention to, too. And this goes back to our episode, Why We're Not Intuitive Eating Coaches, right? If you are someone who has a lot of symptoms going on or you have a chronic health condition and you stumble upon like, ooh, intuitive eating sounds great, but then you start to – you're in the fuck it phase, you're in the liberation phase, and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't work for me because when I eat this way, I feel all kinds of symptoms and all kinds of awful – A lot of people who get caught in that step right there will then think, oh, intuitive eating is not for me because I can't do this the way that people who don't have symptoms, unmanageable symptoms or a chronic health condition can just, you know, what it what it can feel like is, oh, they can eat whatever they want, but I can't do that because I have all of this going on. And that's where a lot of people, again, will get stuck and be like, well, I have to do the elimination diets. I have to do, you know, this functional medicine approach of basically food fear-mongering, right? Because if I don't, then I have these symptoms all the time and my quality of life goes down, right? Our ultimate goal for all of our clients is quality of life, higher quality of life, which for us means an improved relationship with food, a higher variety of foods that you can eat without symptoms, right? That is the key thing. We're not here over here just saying, oh, just eat all the things. Like, you know, your symptoms don't matter. As two people who have a chronic health condition, (laughs) we get it. This stuff is complicated. So I just wanted to draw attention to that as well because a lot of people fall into that camp of like, I've tried intuitive eating, but I have this going on and I feel like I'm failing because my symptoms aren't going away. All these people are over here like, oh my God, intuitive eating is great, you know, all this stuff. But like, they don't have disaster pants all the time. Their thyroid isn't flaring. Their autoimmune disease is, you know, they don't have one. Like, oh, what must that be like? Can't relate. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So continuing on with the intentional eating kind of conversation, I think where some a lot of people struggle too is like a couple of different places is one feeling like they they won't allow themselves to eat the food that they're craving, but instead they're swapping them out. So they're kind of doing like a food blogger vibes <laughs> where where they're not Healthy really honoring swaps. the craving. <laughs> healthy swaps so you're not really honoring your craving so no wonder you feel like you're not really doing this because you're not really honoring what you're actually desiring and you're swapping it out which is restrictive in nature 
Um, whether or not you're physically restricting food from your from your body and not eating it is one thing, but then when you swap it out for something else, not honoring the craving and the desires that your body is having is also inherently restrictive as well. So that makes sense that you would feel that way. It would make sense that you're feeling like, well, maybe I can't have a cookie. I need to have fruit instead. That's all dieting behaviors, right? That's something that needs to be unlearned. And the more you allow yourself to then say, and I think also too, one of the things that I've been talking about this week, often with clients of mine was intention can be brought to bringing health promoting behaviors in, but sometimes we also have to be intentionally flexible in this journey too. You have to be intentionally flexible, intentionally challenging yourself and intentionally deciding. This is definitely something for me that I feel you when you're saying I used to I used to swap out nutritious substitutes. I know Dana knows that oh, <laughs> knows 100%. that game. Built, Look at my she built an entire blog. blog. In whatever, twenty fourteen and fifteen. <laughs> yeah, she built an entire blog and business off of it. So mm-hmm. I mean I think she like we both get it. And so I think one of the things too is sometimes we think of intentional eating as only incorporating health promoting behaviors in. But I want to remind people too, if you tend towards kind of like this swapping or this like I don't want to like label you with this, so I'm not, but like orthorexic like thinking of I need to do a better substitute for something that I'm craving or doing something else instead is instead thinking about it from the perspective of how can I bring intentional flexibility here? Yeah. How can I remind myself I need to be intentional with being flexible while I'm eating? I need to intentionally add cookies in and remind myself while I'm eating it, this cookie is okay for me to eat. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to eat cookies. It's okay for me to have this. I don't have to have fruit and dark chocolate instead of cookies. I can just have cookies. And I think sometimes we forget when we're implementing intentional eating because so many people are coming from the the rails are off. I'm eating donuts. I'm scared of all I'm intentionally eating. Like all I intuitively want to eat is donuts and thinking that intentional eating is bringing in that that intentional like gentle nutrition back in but sometimes it's being intentionally flexible too and calling yourself out when you're doing that so next time you're having that point where you're saying like oh my gosh I'm craving cookies but I'm going to give myself this instead I want you to think I want to be intentionally flexible and I'm going to give myself cookies and see what happens this also comes up in conditional food freedom with we have talked yeah. about before, right? With people are like, oh, I can only have cookies if they're made with almond flour, right? Or mm-hmm. like, I can only have brownies or I can indulge my craving for brownies, but only if they're black bean brownies, right? Or something like that, which like, they're not brownies. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean at the same time, that doesn't mean that you can never have black bean brownies or cookies with almond flour, right? It's situational because again, we're trying to get away from this all or nothing mentality. If you freaking love black bean or avocado brownies, make them. But don't only allow yourself to eat brownies unless they are a quote healthier swap, right? An example of this of how you can bring more intention into this is situational based on the recipe. Christina and I have talked about this before. Like if you're making cookies and you're like, I have all all this almond flour floating around and like I don't know what to do, which like (laughs) problems only gluten-free people have. Um, But (laughs) if you're like, what do I do with this? Here's an example. Making macarons with almond flour, amazing, right? Making them with regular flour, not traditional, right? Or something like making oatmeal chocolate chip cookies 
with some almond flour in there, mm, the nuttiness, nice. But if you're like, I can only eat oatmeal cookies if they have almond flour in them, mm, we're treading the line of the black and white mentality again, right? So encourage yourself to think outside the lines, right? Like color outside the lines. <laughs> think outside mm -hmm. the box of things can be situational. But again, we're always trying to go back to why do I feel like I can only have a treat if it is a more, quote, nutritious substitute or something like that mm -hmm. and that's again challenging the food police this is something that is so common in again like the macros or like the gym world or whatever because people are like oh I'm gonna have a protein mug cake you know or I'm gonna have like protein ice cream or something like that and it's basically like oh the only way that I can be allowed to eat this is if it fits my macros or if I like flex my macros earlier in the day so I can fit this dessert in. None of that is a healthy mentality. So let's try and get out of that. But also understanding where these, um, you know, impulses come from in terms of wanting to make those different substitutes can be really helpful in one, again, getting to the root cause and help you kind of surf your way out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other things that someone said too is that they feel like it's hard for them to eat intentionally when they have like kind of a crazy life. <laughs> and so they feel like they have the mentality of all foods fit but lack mindfulness around it. And my question, my thought is when I hear this around like that's why I feel like I'm failing at intuitive eating is you haven't been giving a framework yet. You're ready for a framework. You're ready for the support. You're ready for the neutral nutrition education. You're ready for having conversations about how do I eat consistently throughout the day? How do I create my meals? How do I do this while also at the same time having all foods fit and, and not losing that? And so that's to me like you're not failing at intuitive eating. You have, you're missing a part. You know, you're ready for a stage that you haven't had access to yet, which we feel like a lot of times is a big piece of why people feel like they're, they're, like they're feeling at a two defeating is that they're lacking an education around it and not having that support for the next phase. Sometimes we were like, okay, I'm intuitively eating. I've, I've given up dieting and all foods fit, but then I just kind of feel like, well, now what? <laughs> like, now what do I do? I don't feel like I have the structure that I need or the structure that I need to support eating myself and eating myself, eating, <laughs> eating regularly and eating consistently and eating foods that make me feel good. Don't start gnawing on your arm, you guys. <laughs> but to me, that's what that says. That says to me like, okay, you're ready to work with someone to help you put all the puzzle pieces together, bring you the neutral nutrition education and help marry those two things together. That's what I hear. Agreed. And again, yeah. if you feel like you're failing because you're not able to bring mindfulness into your eating patterns 100% of the time, that's an all or nothing mentality thing. It's not an intuitive eating thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think another thing too that comes up for a lot of people as well is weight. <laughs> this one's a doozy gun. as Christina likes to say. <laughs> yeah, this one is – to me, I think most of the time when people come back to – I'm failing at this. A lot of times we think of failure as gaining weight or not losing weight because our entire experience with restrictive protocols, dieting, diet culture, all of the things is success is based off of weight loss. And so we'll hear people saying like, okay, well, I want to go ahead and lose weight first. Then I'll work on my, my intuitive eating. 
Um, we'll hear people saying like, once I figure out intuitive eating, the weight will come off. We've even had clients of mine whose therapist literally said this to them when they were in the eating disorder recovery. So this is not like something that is something that is <clears throat> even not discussed in intuitive eating world either or with practitioners. With some practitioners, this is the belief and there's so much weight stigma here with that. Um, don't even get started. But I think <laughs> having this fear is natural. It is natural for you to fear weight that you've gained and not lost it because we have been told that if you are not losing weight or in a straight sized body, then you are failing at something. And you are so unhealthy no, and you're going to be sick forever. And so no wonder you feel like if your body's not changing while you're doing intuitive eating, that then therefore you're failing. Uh, duh, no wonder, right? Because that's the message that we've been told about literally everything that we do that's food related. There needs to be a bodily outcome as a result. Yeah. And I think this also comes back to the um, – I feel like I'm out of control aspect that we had talked about earlier because for the most part, everything that we as a whole society and world really have been taught about nutrition is just dieting and weight loss advice from an all or nothing mentality. So of course, if you, if you're, if you are not actively controlling your weight, let's say, then you feel like you're failing. But we have to keep in mind that the goal of intuitive eating is not weight loss, right? And that is one thing that scares a lot of people away from intuitive eating because they're, they're like, oh, I can't do that because I can't afford to gain any weight, right? Or what about my health? Which we have, again, a whole nother episode on, right? We have a lot of episodes because, okay, it would be – entirely impossible to really go into as much detail as we want to just about this one specific thing which is why we have hours of content on this for you and so we will again link that in the show notes but the main thing here is we want to acknowledge that of course you're afraid of not controlling your weight or you know any weight that you may have gained because you've let go of an obsessively restrictive lifestyle what if that's where your body wants to be? What if here is where your body wants to be? We've said this on a previous episode, and if your immediate reaction is, oh my God, no, it's not a food thing. It's a body image thing. And so that's the focus where we need to take that next. It's because, again, a lot of our food issues, let's say, stem from body image issues because again we've been told our entire lives that the way to be successful in the world is to control your weight and the way that you control your weight is through under eating and over exercising so of course you feel like if that's not happening you're out of control and you're failing because those are the exact words that diet and fitness culture and even the medical system use when you find yourself in that experience yeah. So to wrap up, I think, right, at this point, because we do have hours of content on a lot of these different subjects and everything, I think one of the things that we want everyone to hear from this episode for help, I think I'm failing at intuitive eating, is one, you're not failing at intuitive eating. You haven't been given the tools to succeed yet, or we've carried 
some of the things from our previous relationship of food into intuitive eating, or we're trying to make them mend together in a way that they're never, they were never meant to fit. Let's not make fetch, fetch is never going to happen. Like they're never going to be together. So let's ignore it and pretend, like stop pretending that it is. It's not going to be. And I know that's probably a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people because we do have this desire for, for maintaining our weight, losing weight, um, or not gaining any weight or, um, managing our weight. And that is a driver for so many different things. And when you hear that intuitive eating doesn't include that, it can be scary. And so that's why we can feel those feelings of feeling out of control or how do I know if I'm not overeating? A lot of those things that come up for failing at intuitive eating are really rooted in what if my body changes and I'm not cool with that? What can I do to manage that outcome, potential outcome? And so the work really does have to go to your body image and looking at that and thinking about how is that impacting the way that I'm approaching the way the way that I'm approaching intuitive eating, the way that I'm approaching wholehearted eating, the way that I'm approaching exercise, what how is that then influencing the way that I'm interacting with all of these different things and food in general? And then acknowledging where is this really coming from? Again, not from a place of judgment, but again, always with curiosity. Why is this so hard for me? Why do I feel out of control? Why do I feel like all I'm eating is sugar and that's a problem? Why do I feel like I have to swap out these foods? Why do I feel like I'm overeating? Why do I feel like I don't have any physical hunger cues or I can't listen to my body? Why do I feel like all I intuitively want is donuts? All of those things can come back to I'm feeling disconnected from my body. I'm feeling like I'm not able to control my weight. And that is a big reason for why so many people feel like they're failing at intuitive eating because they want to have that sense of, don't worry, you can do this and you won't get any weight. And that is not what this is about. That's why it's so uncomfortable. And again, one or more thing told to always come back to, to is that all or nothing mentality. If we are trying to superimpose an all or nothing mentality onto intuitive eating, wholehearted eating, of course you feel like you're failing because that's not the spirit or the intention of this non-diet lifestyle. So we have given you all a lot to think about <laughs> and a lot to consider over the next couple of weeks as we take our little summer break here. But like we mentioned, I can't even remember how many times at this point we have referenced other episodes that we've done just in this one episode. So I will link as many of those as possible in the show notes, more summer reading slash listening for you all. And then come back with your questions, right? When we come back in the fall, we're going to be doing a similar episode of like, all right, what questions do you have after all the episodes that we've dumped on you for the summer? You know, email us, let us know. Also, if you all... This would be an amazing summer present to us. One of our goals always is to help grow the podcast and get this into the ears of more people. So if you could tell a friend about an episode, honestly, word of mouth is the number one best way to, one, help other people and spread the word about the podcast. The second best way is, and we would love you forever, if you would write a review or give a star rating wherever you listen to podcasts, it doesn't have to be Spotify or the Apple podcast app or wherever the heck you listen to it. It would be super, super helpful to us and we would love you forever. Um, 
And that's my plug for us. (laughs) (laughs) So the one other piece of feedback that we got, which is a very specific one, but not uncommon, is someone wrote, I was recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes after I started intuitive eating and it's really hard to balance. There is actually research and studies on people who follow an intuitive eating approach with two di- with type 2 diabetes who have seen better long-term health markers than people who try to follow these extremely restrictive diets for type 2 diabetes. We will link that in the show notes. Um, and we also have another episode where we have talked about how our thoughts around sugar can raise our blood sugar on the inside more than the actual physical content of the sugar in different drinks. This is specifically for people with type 2 diabetes, but it can be applied to people who don't have diabetes because we all have blood sugar or we would not be here currently. So that was the last thing I wanted to touch on. Yes, I also agree too. And there's also practitioners who are intuitive eating coaches who specifically specialize in type 2 diabetes. We should have one of them on the podcast. Yeah, we need to get one of them on the podcast for you guys because we think this is such a specialized area and there's so much stigma around it too. So feeling like in that way that you might feel like uh, intuitive eating isn't available to you because you have type 2 diabetes and all the different things and what your doctor's telling you and everything else like that as well. So we're not going to answer this in full right now, but we got you and we're going to have some stuff on this and we're going to dive into it more. But just know that there are incredible practitioners out there. We'll link some of them in the show notes too cannot encourage you more to work with someone who specializes in type 2 diabetes and is also an intuitive eating coach. What a way to really support yourself and in a really gentle and loving way. So thank you guys. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode. And I hope if nothing else, like we said, we just want you to feel validated that this is how you're feeling and we get it and that it is hard. Um, And we're here for you. Even though we're taking a little break, we got plenty of content for you guys and we're here and we're ready to help and answer any questions that you guys have come the fall. So enjoy the rest of your summer. Just so you know, you're not failing at intuitive eating. It's complicated. We got you, (laughs) boo-boo. We got you, (laughs) boo-boo. Hey friends, it's Dana. And thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.